0: you would be surprised sometimes where preachers get their theology. For instance, I was reading a a cartoon, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Pooh and Piglet are out taking a walk one evening. Uh, It's taking a long walk and Piglet turns to Pooh and he says, Pooh, what's the first thing you think of when you get up in the morning? And Pooh said, what's for breakfast? And what do you think of, Piglet? And Piglet said, I think of what exciting thing is going to happen to me that day. It's a children's story, but it yields significant teaching for us. Small expectations yield small results. Great expectations yield great results. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Some of the most exciting times we have as individuals, even as a church, are those times of anticipation those times of expectation. You know, all of us know what it's like. Uh, just think of a, a young bride, a young groom expecting that day when they can get married. Uh, it's just excitement building up to think of the parents and expecting that first new baby to be born in the family. Maybe it's a new home or maybe it's a new job. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation going in to that. So we all know what it's like when jesus ascended into heaven to take his place in glory he left behind a group of followers and he left them with great expectations he had great expectations for his church he had great expectations for these followers i mean stop and think about it when jesus ascended to the earth his plan a was for his church to carry out his job that was it he didn't have a plan b that if they failed, okay, I'll do it this way. He said, this is it, this is the plan. So he left them with great expectations. And the expectations he had for that early group of believers have not changed. They are still just as relevant today as they were for those first believers. Based upon the assurance of the cross and the assurance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too can have expectations of what needs to happen to the church. This morning we began a new series of sermons based on Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. Uh, I've entitled this Great Expectations. God has great expectations for his church. So we're going to be looking at this for the next several weeks. But the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we experience that great expectation that God has for us? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 this morning. One thing we were to see as we get into this passage of Scripture or in the text, we'll see that these expectations did not happen overnight. There were some things that, that were in place. And I think if we look at these verses, and trust me, there's a lot in this passage. We're just going to glean some truths from it this morning. But as we examine this passage, we will see there's some, uh, some principles or there's some clues that will help us know what we need to do to experience those great expectations. So we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 11 under the heading, Expecting Great Things. Obviously, if you're going to have expectations, great expectations, then you got to expect those things to happen. So let's look at this passage of Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Three clues, three truths that will help us with these great expectations. First, we are to wait with expectation. For over three years, Jesus had poured his life into a handful of believers. Twelve disciples, but ultimately 120 people, as we know there were many more. But he poured his life into them. He taught them. He preached. He demonstrated. He performed miracles in their face. He encouraged them, and he ministered to them. He had given them the great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Right before he ascended, that was the last command he gave them. Go and make disciples of all nations that was their marching orders that was their vision statement that was their mission statement that was their their philosophy they were to go and make disciples and then all of a sudden in verse four we see this little statement made Jesus tells him do not leave Jerusalem but wait but wait surely that's not what he said because he just told them to go and make disciples now we see him telling them to wait surely that's not what it is but there it is right there in red in my Bible, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. And oftentimes that's God's word to each one of us. We pray. We pray for God to do something. We, we pray earnestly. We pray and, and, and we want God to do something. And, then, and we go about working, wanting to see results, but then God says, just wait. Wait and allow that seed to grow. Wait and allow things to happen. I don't know about y'all. I'm not good at waiting. It's just not my my forte. I'm one of these guys. I like to do. I like to be able to look back in the, the day and see what I've done, what I've accomplished. I am one of those guys that likes to get things done. I imagine some of you that same way. That's the way society has has bred us to be. It's ingrained in us. If you have somebody who's not being productive, you replace that person with somebody who's productive. If somebody's not you're, doing the results that you need then you replace that individual it's how we are made it's how we're wired we are people that want to see things accomplished so whenever we see this and we see that we are to wait we step back from us and wait a minute that goes against my dna that goes against who i am as an individual so what are we to do the disciples were eager to do god's will i mean uh, they were pretty stoked about Jesus being raised from the dead they, they may not have understood everything but they spent 40 days with him they were ready to go and do what they were supposed to do now we know in this passage the reason they were to wait was because God was going to send the Holy Spirit upon them so, said, so wait I know you want to go do this but you really need the power to be able to do this effectively so we know they, they were waiting but what about now? What about the time that God tells us to wait? Because, listen, we're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. If you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in your life, guess what you need to do? You need to first get saved. Because once you get saved, you receive Jesus Christ as Lord save your life. The Holy Spirit is planted in you at that moment. So we're not waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend upon us. So what about the times now that God tells us, I need you to wait? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to sit back on our hands and feet and just... You know, not do anything. There's a valuable principle for us to learn in verse 7. Look at verse 7 once again. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Here's the principle time is in God's hands, not ours. Time is in his hands. So he's going to cause things to happen in his timing and not our timing. Things are going to happen in the church. Things are going to happen in our lives as we're praying, as we're waiting. Things are going to happen according to God's timetable, not our timetable. I think sometimes our our response to God must be, uh, I just know God has a sense of humor. Because God tells us to, to go and do something. I say, okay, I want you to go do something. I don't know, God. Uh, oh, God. I'm going to form a former comedian over here and talk about it and see if we really need to go, y'all, you know, if we really need to do that. And, and, and we're passive and we're timid and we're shy. But then God tells us, okay, wait. God, I don't want to wait. I want it now. That's the way we are. He tells us to do something. We cry or we, we, we're passive. And then he, he tells us to wait for something. We get mad at him. We must be fickle. Uh, I, that, that's the way we are. But see the secret to waiting is expectation we can wait for God to do something because we expect God to do something and so so it creates it creates in us anticipation for what God wants to do when you believe that God is going to do something when you expect God to do something guess what we're waiting for his timing we're waiting for God to accomplish it there's two types of time mentioned in the bible there's Cairo's time and Chrono's time. Chrono's time is chronological time. It happens in that time frame that we know. Cairo's time is God's time. We don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, the Bible says a day is like a thousand years in God's timing. He is not a slave to the clock. He doesn't sit there and say, oh man, I got to get this done today. He doesn't look he goes, yeah. in his timing. We don't know that timing. So we have to be able to expect. God's going to do something in his timing so we wait for that to happen. We can wait patiently when we expect God to be true to his word. And wouldn't it be great to be that kind of church? Wouldn't it be a great to be the kind of church that waits with expectation that God is going to do something? But not only do you wait, you watch. You see, there's a difference between waiting and watching. Waiting, you're expecting. Watching, you're looking for. It. You're looking for it to come, so we are to watch with expectation. We often misinterpret that phrase when somebody says, no, you know, somebody says, hey, the the Lord's going to come at such and such time, and we repeat that phrase, no one knows about the day and hour. So we encourage ourselves with that. Well, you know, yeah, they're predicting days and all that stuff, but we know that no one knows the hour. But we misinterpret that. We misunderstand it. What Jesus was really saying is be alert because you don't know when I'm coming. I could come today, I could come tomorrow, I could come next year, A 100 years now. The point is I could come tomorrow so you better be alert today. How would it change your life, my friends, if you knew Jesus was coming in the morning? The new year. Boy, that'd be a new year, wouldn't it? You wake up in the old year and you wake up in a new year with God. How would it change your life if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow? How would it change your life if you knew Jesus was coming on Wednesday night during prayer meeting. That's a joke, okay? I think it would change our lives drastically if we do. That's why he doesn't want us to know because he wants us to live each day expecting that he could come at any moment. When you live that way, it changes the way you live your life. It changes your priorities. It changes your focus. It changes everything. Like the early church, we expect the second coming of Jesus we expect it we know what's going to happen we don't know when but that's not all they expected they also expected that God was going to send the Holy Spirit upon them because Jesus said hey I'm going to send it you're going to get the power and when that time comes this is what's going to happen so they were expecting that the promise of power so they waited And they watched for God to keep his promise because God is faithful, God is true, and God will always keep his promise. How about us? Do you expect God to keep his promises? Do you truly live with the expectation that God will keep his promises? Do you come to church expecting God to work? Do you come to the worship service and expecting God to work? Look, when I when I stand up to preach, I don't know if y'all know this, I expect every Sunday that somebody will walk the aisle. Every Sunday, I expect it. I remember hearing somebody, uh, I think was, they was talking to Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time and, and Charles Haddon Spurgeon asked uh, one of his students, he goes, do you expect students, to, do you expect people to come forward every Sunday in church? He goes, well, no, I don't expect. He goes, that's why they don't come because you don't expect it. And so when, when, nobody can, when nobody comes forward, you know what I do? I sit in my office on Monday like a defeated puppy because I didn't do a good enough job communicating the truth of God's word. Expectation, I expect God to move in people's lives. Do you come to worship expecting God to move in your life? Do you come to Bible study expecting God to change your life through the study of God's word? Remember, great expectations yield great results. Little expectations result little results. I don't know about y'all. I expect God to do something great in this church. I do. One of the characteristics of a healthy and a thriving church is that they are watching with expectation. Wouldn't it be great to be that kind of church? Wouldn't it be great to be the kind of church that expects things to happen? Years ago I saw a cartoon uh, that really that, that spoke to me. I tell you, I get my theology in weird places, okay? Winnie the Pooh, cartoons in the sunny paper. But this cartoon it was a picture of two Eskimos. And, and the two Eskimos were fishing in the, in the ice. You know, how you've seen, you know, they cut a hole in the ice and they put the little fishing pole down there. Well, these two fishermen, the one on the right was sitting in, in, in his chair and he had his fishing pole down in the hole. And the hole was your typical manhole, you know, and he was there fishing. Then the guy on, on the left, he had his fishing line, he was sitting in his chair, he had his fishing line down in, in the in the water as well but his hole that he had cut went on to the horizon as far as you can see the length of a football field in the shape of a whale. Now guys, that's expectation. That is a guy that he is expecting that he is going to catch something. There is nothing that's gonna come through his hole that he ain't ready to catch. He's waiting and he is watching with expectation that God is going to do something for him. He's going to do something. He's watching with expectation, expecting great things to happen. Are we like that? Are we like that Eskimo that, that built that hole, that, that, that ice hole that would catch a whale? I mean, whether it's a minnow or a whale, nothing is going to come through there. He can't catch. We need to be like that person that expects great things to happen. Our God is a God of great things, and we should live our lives expecting God to to do great things. I heard Tom Rainer years ago made this statement. He said, it is a sin to be good when God expects you to be great. He said, it's a great commission. It's a great commandment, not a good, good one. It's a great commission, a great commandment. It is a sin to be good when God expects us to be great. Listen, my folks, it is a sin for our church to be good when God expects us to be great. We should never accept something good in the place of what is great. We should always be striving for that. But what we do is we offer, we dig with the small opening and we expect God to do great things when we get exactly what we expected from God. Very small things. I expect God to do something great in this church. I do. I've been saying this three and a half years. I'm still here. I'm still just as believing in it as I was the first day I came. I expect God to do great things in this church. So because of that, I watch with expectation. And I watch and I see things going on. I said, hmm, I think it's God. I think God is doing that. And so, so I'm watching those things because I don't want to miss when I see God doing something. I don't know when God's going to do greater things, but I'm watching And I'm waiting. I know the way it's going to happen for us is when we as a body of believers start living our life with that kind of expectation that it's going to happen. So we wait with expectation. We watch with expectation one more and you knew I was going to get this in here. We work with expectation. We work with expectations. Those of you that know me, I am not one of those guys, well, let's just go and pray about it. I believe in prayer. I pray every Saturday morning, and I pray on Wednesday night. But folks, I am not going to use prayer as an excuse not to work. I'm not going to do it. I always say we should pray as if everything depends upon God and work as if everything depends upon us. I say, but when you pray and you're praying for God, you better make sure that when you're praying to God that you're willing to be used by God to be an answer to the prayer that you're praying. If you're not willing to be the answer, for instance, let me give you an example. Lord, save my neighbor. Lord, would you lead my neighbor to Christ? And God is saying, I would love to lead your neighbor to Christ. Why don't you go tell him about Jesus? Oh, no, God, I really want you to use somebody else to do that. Now, He might. But you should never pray a prayer unless you're willing to be the answer to that prayer. That's why I've told y'all a thousand times before and I'll tell you a thousand and one times more. That's why when I think about my, my children, and my, my daughter and my grandchildren living in Washington, D.C., they have no relationship to a church, no relationship to God. You know what my prayer is? God, could you make some church up there relevant to them to reach my grandchildren? And the minute God says that to me, the minute I say it to God, you know what God says to me? He said, are you being that kind of church to the people in Waco? And I think, oh, What about the students at Baylor? What about the ones living over it? Am I being the kind of church that's reaching somebody else's grandchildren? You see, You see what I mean? It's that give and take. You pray, but you say, but God, I also want to be used by you accomplish great things so it's not enough just to wait and watch you got to work verse 11 notice what it says men of galilee why do you stand here looking into the sky the same jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back expecting the return of jesus will drive us to do more than wait and watch because we're expecting jesus to return we are busy we are actively engaged at the task a sign. Let's go back and talk about our Eskimo buddies again. Think about that guy on the left that that dug that hole, that ice hole the size of a, of a well. You know how I many saw blades he must have wore out trying to dig that hole? You know how much effort he must have put for, yeah, you know, I mean it didn't happen overnight. Maybe he formed a committee to get it done but I doubt it. You know it took a lot of work, it took a lot of energy, it took a lot of time for him to develop that hole but there was nothing that was going to come through that hole that he wasn't prepared for but he had to work he had to work to receive those expectations he had i tell you you can't be around a person like that and not get contagious you get around that type of person it just exudes excitement into other people's you get excited about by his anticipation and it should be uh, tr- true of us as well. We get around that type of excitement and say, Lord, I just want you to do it because I just want to see what you're going to do in this guy's life. Man, this is exciting, God. We want to be around that. I remember I had a friend of mine several years ago. He passed away in a car wreck, but he was a pastor of a rural church down around Brownwood. I can't remember the name of the church. I want to say Mullen, but I'm not for sure. Anyway, he was a pastor. We were in a seminary together. And he said it was a senior adult church. And he took over the church and went there, went there to provide some leadership for it. And one of the first things he did is he, he moved some senior adults out of their Sunday school class and put them someplace else. I said, are you crazy? He said, yeah, I am. And then what he did is he, he painted the room a different color. And he put little tiny tables in there with little tiny chairs and like chalkboards on the wall and stuff like that. And then he went and bought some little children's literature. And he trained a teacher to teach the class and of course this is a senior adult congregation they said we ain't ever had any little children here and we never will and he said "Cause he's much wiser than I was he said well that may be true but we had to be prepared just in case just in case so they got the room trained the teacher and every Sunday that teacher would study her lesson and nobody would come But after several months, after a lot of work by the pastor and his wife and his family and some others in the church, they got one little child to finally come to Sunday school. One little child. A couple of weeks later, that child brought a friend, and they had two kids. Remember, they had none. Now they got two. And over the process of several months, maybe even a year, they had six kids coming to Sunday school class where they previously had none. And then they saw the pastor doing this weird thing. He was in another room. Cleaning out a storeroom that hadn't been used, cleaning it out, painting it, and they say, Pastor, what are you doing? He goes, They all have brothers and sisters. You see, that pastor had expectations that God was going to do something. He didn't look at a situation and say, There's no hope. He goes, I expect God to do something. So he went about working, working to dig that ice hole bigger so that when God brought the blessings, there's nothing he couldn't handle in the process of time more people came to that church. That's why we have these renovations going on in, in a church. We've been doing it for like three years, we've been doing renovations. You know, we, we've done the, the foyer, we did the bathrooms, we did the, uh, the garden room, we did the garden wing hallway. Guess what? There are more coming this year. And if you know me, it probably won't happen next month, it'll happen immediately. It's not going to happen in, you know, it's going to happen soon. Why do we do that because we expect to do things so we remodel we renovate to make it more inviting to that people say well how are we going to do it i said i'll tell you how we'll do it you're going to do it you're going to pay for it oh we don't have any money well we're going to be like the we're going to be like those ones that jesus said feed the five thousand. you know it's really fifteen thousand. oh jesus we don't have i'd take eight months wages to do that he said well but y'all want you to do it well oh, what do we got well we got we got a little sack lunch We got two fish and five loaves but surely that's not enough to feed I mean how many of you think that's enough to feed 5,000 people of course not, we're not talking about big catfish okay, we're talking about some small, uh, a little boy's lunch but they gave what little they had to God and guess what God brought the increase so here's the way we're going to do it you're going to give a little, I'm going to give a little somebody else is going to give a little and God's going to take our little and turn it into a lot He's going to turn into a lot. Can't do it with what I give. Can't do it with what you give. But if all of us will give, then God will be able to do, the, do it. We're going to do some renovations. That's why we do this second service. You know, we do the second service to create a different worship environment to bring in people that will not come to a more classic, to a more traditional style of worship. That's why we do that. Uh, recently, I toyed with the idea in staff meeting. We're going to eliminate the second service. We'll go back to one service. And the reason I did it because I was looking for unity. You know, we want to get all of our people together. I want my young people worshiping with the senior adults. I want the senior adults worshiping with the with the the young. And I said, you know, then we get into kind. Con- well, what kind of worship will we do? Well, we can't do that. Da, da da We want all that. And I was ready because you know I, I said, it's, you know, maybe it's time to do that. And then a wise person in the staff meeting said, No, I've been noticing some things in that second service. That maybe you don't see because I see the crowd and not the people. I see, I'm see i seeing people that are coming that used to not come. I'm seeing people inviting people that used to not invite people. This person said, I think we need to wait. I think we need to wait and let God work in this situation. So I stepped back and said, that's wise. That's wise. Because, you know, I'm a, I want to see things done quickly. So we step back. That's why we do this, folks. It ain't for the staff. I want you to know it ain't for the staff. It'd be much easier for us to preach one sermon. Much easier. By the time I go home, I am wore out on Sunday mornings. Many of you don't know this, but 30 minutes of preaching is eight hours of manual labor. i, I only work one day a week, so what do you expect, right? That's why we do the second service. It's not for us. It's for the glory of the kingdom. It's so that we can reach people we might never reach any other way so we're preparing ourselves we are preparing our church we're preparing ourselves to experience things that only God's going to do but we're laying the footwork we're laying the groundwork and expecting God to do great things sometimes when you when you operate from that mindset people don't understand uh, they don't they don't get it they say, they, it looks foolish When you say we're expecting God to do great things, no, we don't see it, but we're expecting him to do great things. Uh, They think we're foolish. They think we're out of touch with reality. But the fact is they don't have all the information. They don't have all the facts. For instance, I read a story about some nuns who worked at a hospital and they were on their way to the hospital in the morning and they ran out of gas. But there was a gas station just right there and they said, well, we'll get some gas at the gas station. But the gas station didn't have any can to put the gas in. They said, what are we going to do? One of the nuns remembered, I have a bedpan in the trunk. So they went and they got a bedpan. They filled the bedpan up, put gasoline in the bedpan, and they were walking carefully back to the car. And they got to the car, and they were pouring the gas into the gas can, that uh, bedpan. And about that time, some people drove, drove by in a truck. And they were looking at that, and one guy said, that's what I call faith. What was the problem? They didn't have all the facts. They didn't have all the information. I want you to imagine what was going through those truckers' drives mine, uh, when those nuns passed them on the highway. <laughs> but you see, that's what happens. We make decisions in the church, and we do things in the church, and people say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's foolishness. But God says he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Because they don't have all the facts. But see, when you're expecting God to do something, you'll do some crazy things. Because you know God's going to be faithful. You know God is going to do it. So much of what we do lacks any expectation. We cut our tiny holes in the ice and we expect God to do these great things. In reality, we get exactly what we expected small things. Small things. We complain well I wasn't fed you got what you planned for you got what you planned for what can we do we can reach people that have been reached does anybody in here think that we do not have enough room for any more people anybody? y'all think we've outgrown this space anybody think that? no we probably won't outgrow well we could I say we might not outgrow this space in, in, in my time here but wouldn't it be great if we did We need to reach people that have not been reached. We need to invite people that as of yet have not been invited. You know that the statistics prove that 80% of people come to church because they're invited by a friend. You know, you have friends out there right now just waiting for you to invite them. They might say, no. What is it harmed? What is it harmed? We have a responsibility to invite people. We reach out. We invite people. We minister to people that need to be ministered to. We visit people that need to be visited. We love people that need to be loved. We do whatever it takes to make our community know that Jesus loves them and he died upon the cross so that they might be right with God. Whatever it takes. One of the things we're toying with is our our mission statement. Exalt Christ, equip the church, engage the community. Exalt Christ, equip the church, engage the community. Boy, you can remember that. Can y'all say that with me? Exalt Christ... Equip the church, engage the community. How difficult is that? And everything we do, we want to filter through that vision, through that mission statement. We'll do whatever it takes. I truly believe the best days of Western Heights Baptist Church are the ones in front of us. Listen, if your memories are longer than your dreams, you're already dead. You're already dead. You should never stop dreaming about what God can do. So some of the things we do in this church, it's not for this year. It's not for 2020. It may be for five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. We lay the groundwork, we lay the footwork, because we're expecting God to do great things. Years ago, William Carey, uh, is known as the father of the modern missionary movement. He uh, was a shoemaker by trade. He would work on shoes, and he'd have a map of the world in front of him. He'd pray for the map, pray for the world as he worked on his shoes. He wanted to evangelize the world. He said he was in England, I think it was Danbury, Danbury Baptist, and he wanted to reach the world with Christ for the gospel. And people came up to him and said, young man, if God wants to reach the heathen, he'll do it without you. But he wouldn't give up wouldn't give up his dream and so he preached a sermon at the Danbury Baptist and he preached the sermon and in that sermon the title of the sermon I got it written attempt great things for God expect great things from God that was the sermon attempt great things for God and expect great things from God it's based on a text out of Isaiah I can't remember exactly where it was why did he and then from that the people were inspired, and William Carey became known as the father of the modern missionary movement. They took a trip, went to India, and then they began going to China and around the world. And from that, we now, here in the 21st century, are recipients to the vision of William Carey in the 1700s. I think it's 1792, I believe. I may be wrong about that, but I think that's what it was. We are now living in that missionary movement that said we're going to take the gospel to the entire world so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church that we wanna be. Wouldn't it be great to be that kind of church? Wouldn't it be great to be a kind of church that tempts great things for God and expects great things from God? Let me tell you what's coming down the pipe. I got five minutes. One of the things we'll be doing, not first of the year, but sometime next year, we're gonna be doing what we call a membership class. We're not calling it a new members class because we're not creating two tiers of membership here at Western Heights. We're not gonna have our, 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 old, our faithful members and they're grandfathered in and then we're gonna bring new people in and we increase the expectation on them. Now remember, this all comes back to expectations. If you expect nothing from the people, you know what you get from your people, nothing. But if you expect something from the people and they know it coming in, they're gonna live up to those expectations. We're gonna have a membership class and everybody in the church will go through a membership class. If you decide you wanna be a part of this fellowship of believers, you will have to go through a membership class. It's not just gonna be come up, okay, baptized, you raise your hand, now sit, soak, and sour, no. They're going to sign a, they're going to go through the membership class. The membership class will inform them of our church. This is the way our church functions. This is how we operate. It's going to tell them about our doctrines, what we believe. It's going to tell them about what are the expectations of your members, and what is to be your attitude as a believer. And at the end of that, at the end of that class, we'll have these, doc, these statements that said, I will do this, 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 this. One of them, I'll attend worship services faithfully. Two, I will be a part of a small group Bible study. Three, I will engage in mission opportunities and ministry opportunities in the church. Four, I will support the church financially. And they're going to sign it. They would then say a membership agreement they will sign. Now, if people don't want to sign the membership agreement, that is perfectly all right. But here's the thing. You will not teach Sunday school. You will not serve on a committee. You will not be involved. Why is that? We want you committed to the membership agreement. It said, I am agreeing. This is what it looks like to be a member of Western Highest Baptist Church. Now, we love you and we'll support you. We'll be there for you. You just won't be, be part of the serving group. Does that sound harsh? No, it's not harsh. You know what we call that? We call that discipleship. We call that raising the expectation of the church family because God is going to do something awesome in this church. And the way it's going to do that is when we raise the standard of expectation of church. It's not—it's not a weeding people out. It's just saying, look, if you come to be a part of Western Heights Baptist Church, we got some expectations of you, and this is what we're wanting you to do. So that's one of the things that's going to be happening. It may not have, it may happen in February. It may happen in August. Don't know exactly when. There's lots of things that have to happen between now and then. But that's the way we're going. Now, I told them in the first service. I told me taped it, we actually taped this sermon. So here's the thing, I'm on tape now, I can't get out of it. A lot of things I can say and I can get out of it because it's not recorded, now it's recorded. So now guess what, you have to hold me accountable to do it. But now you know it's coming. And it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be something that, to be honest, it's not gonna affect most of you, you know why? Because you're already doing it. You're already doing it. But we've got to raise, you know, I never imagined that Jesus says, Says, okay, I want you to go and make disciples if you feel like it. You know, go and make disciples, but but in your spare time, do that. He goes, No, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them. And he's with us always to the very end of the age. We're going to have a time of invitation. I don't know. Everybody here is home, folks. Uh, you know who you are. It's not, you know, maybe God is speaking in your heart. You know, I need to be more involved. You know, uh, maybe before we have to ask you to, to sign a membership agreement, say, you know, I really want to be doing that now. Uh, what can I do? Uh, whatever God is leading to do, we want to be here for you. I'll be here to uh, just to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, come on up, praise team. Y'all come on up.